0: Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone.
1: Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin-Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff-Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive.
0: So, hey, Teresa. (laughs) Hey, Sherry. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we were just you know discussing whether or not we should start the recording while we were trying to figure out the best way to start this podcast. You know, we every time we want very much to include all of you out there and but treating you like the individuals that you are which actually fits perfectly into the theme of what we want to talk about today that we kind of introduced a little bit last week this idea of the individual and the collective so you know every time we're like hey you know we're so glad you are here you in quotes is sort of this general collective idea that there's this group of audience out there listening and you know that's hello welcome to you all but there's also the you that is the individual that is coming in and getting whatever it is that you're getting. And, you know, hopefully we'd love to hear from you more to to know what it is that you're getting and what it is that you'd like to to share and ask and all of that. Um, but we do recognize you as individuals as well as this beautiful collective. And we need
1: both in our neighborhood, right? The individuals, but then this collective collective neighborhood of people who stroll the streets together, um, who are walking their dogs and stop to have a conversation um, with a passerby. Or, you know, we often see things like, you never know how much just smiling at somebody is going to change their day. So how do we greet each other? as we are strolling down the streets. You know, we've talked about the little river town of Yardley where we met on the porch. And it often, it's a strolling town. So if we're going to imagine our neighborhood as a strolling town, yeah, there's a lot of individuals there. But how do we interact um, as we pass our neighbors on the street?
0: And this is so typical of us. We just dive right in. You know, we <laughs> get right into what we're doing. And for those of you who may not have listened last week, um, this neighborhood that we're talking about is um, a holistic neighborhood. We are diving into using the fascia system as a model of how to live in community you know and what are the qualities you know because we talk about the body and the stories and the science and so this season we are really going to draw it all together you know we started with the subtle body and we moved into embodiment and now we're going to play with some of those systems and structures of the body and to see how they can be metaphors for how we live in this world and so we you know we played around with we talked about Um, being inspired by the show the good place and how they had architects who created neighborhoods of the good and the bad place and how we're not reducing what we do down to good and bad um, but what we want to do is create something that allows us to see our holistic nature and so when you were just talking about the little river town and how do we greet each other i was thinking about when i moved to new york city in 1986 and how so many people would say to me, how do you live in such a big city? It's such a big city. They were seeing the whole collective. And after living there for several years, I was there for 17 years all told, but it occurred to me that I don't live in New York City. I don't live in the big collective city, although I do, I did, I live in a neighborhood. I lived in many neighborhoods. I lived in the Village, I lived in the West Village, I lived in Chelsea, I lived on the Upper West Side, I lived in these different neighborhoods. And each neighborhood had a different feeling, sense of consciousness about it. It Had different people walking the streets. Every time I would walk down the street, I would look up, even though they said, real New Yorkers don't look up, I always looked up. (laughs) Because I was fascinated by all the windows. All of these individual windows that held these individual stories, everyone has a story, And that we all lived in the city. We all took the same subway system. We all took the same, you know, bus system, the the public transportation. We all, you know, went to the same restaurants because it was just the same amenities that were offered in the city in these different neighborhoods. And yes, sometimes I would travel to a different neighborhood. And it was all within the bigger structure of New York. So there's this collective. There's all the individual windows and the stories. And then there are the little... Clusters. That is my cat. Um, that was either Buffy or Angel. <laughs> I don't know, but welcome to the <laughs> hey, show. <Buffy. laughs> but then there's like clusters. There's little groups of individuals that come together to create, you know, smaller neighborhoods within neighborhoods. And now I'm, you know, going off and doing the Sherry thing. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: oh. love the Sherry thing. It reminded me of a couple of things while we were listening there. One is... Communities are not always site-specific. Neighborhoods aren't necessarily site-specific. I spent a fair amount of time driving around in a motor home across the country, and there was a community, a neighborhood of people, that you would be surprised we would pull into a national park, a state park, a campground and find out that we had camped with the people who were right next door to us or we would be out walking and strolling to get to know the new neighborhood in which we were going to be living for a short period of time maybe a week maybe a month who knew but we would meet new people each and every time because there's nothing like a campfire in the middle of a neighborhood to bring everybody out with their lawn chair we also brought you know if you're rving you also know you bring your chair and you bring your beverage (laughs) to that campfire so that you can sit around and get to know people across the country. So although we do have a specific neighborhood we're referring to, neighborhoods don't necessarily have to be in one specific place. We can create community and collective across vast lands um, and vast space. So I kind of thought of that in relation to I was living on the farm last year, which is a very small community of people who lived there. There weren't a lot of residents, but there were a fair amount of animals. There was a chicken community. <laughs> 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 there was Luna and Belle, the goats. So, you know, communities are what we make them. And, and now
0: that we have Zoom, we know that there's a, a whole, uh, there's a digital virtual way to extend this idea of community into. The ethers and a podcast and a podcast <laughs> and
1: you know speaking of zoom one of the definitions of that I heard of what fa- how fascia um, its anatomical definition one of the definitions I heard was fractal and chaotic so it had a fractal and chaotic organization which it sounds like they don't go together like it's fractalized it's chaotic but yet it's still organized and you know sherry when i read this and listening to you talk and saying a sherry moment i was like (laughs) it sounds just like the messy mind that you always talk about messages from my
0: messy mind oh yeah Oh, that's so funny. And it's New York City. It's any big city. There's chaos. There's, you know, nothing is um, like what Euclidean in the geometric forms. It's all fractal. It's all, you know, you, it's hard to, to anticipate sometimes. So I'm really curious because I, you know, you turned me on to this idea of fascia. And um, this was many years ago before it became a buzzword in different anatomy communities and so just to kind of talk a little bit about the qualities of fasha that that lend themselves well to living in community and this idea of individual and collective and you know and this is even though these are qualities that lend themselves well to living in community there's also you know always those moments where we're out of balance and those qualities don't always operate at their highest levels as we know as individuals we're not always operating at our highest vibes so I, i'm just really curious if you could you know sure well i'm going
1: to take a cue from um my coach and your coach stacy brass russell who reminds me in the classes and the courses i take with her is that we can't teach everything at once and this is an extremely large subject so I am going to do my best. We are going to do our best to give it in bite-sized pieces in an experiential and story-like presentation. But I think when we talk about the characteristics of fascia in relation to the individual and the community, is its nickname the great communicator or the sensory organ? I love that the sensory organ. You know, in um, season one and season two, we touched on embodiment, um, living a life that we feel and then bringing a language to it, but to really come to a place where we begin to tap into listening to our body, to feeling our body. And Fasha, the great communicator, is abundantly filled with communicating receptors that help us to experience life through our senses, through our sense of smell and our sense of touch, through our sense of listening deeply, the sense of hearing. Um, but also, it's a two-way communication, and I think that's really important. We take in information. We enhance our ability to listen deeply i always like to say in my classes listen to the body whisper so you'll never have to hear it scream and that takes a mindful approach to knowing that there are communicators inside our body um, which we'll get into more um, as the season goes on like you know, what are they called? We have a little Italian family of Pacini, Ruffini, and Golgi Tendon that as we lay the foundation, we'll continue to build new, like you were talking about New York City, we'll build a high rise. And today we are in a foundation. We're saying this is a system that lets us know where we are in space. It communicates proprioception for Um, walking through the neighborhood or joining us on the mat for yoga. Where is my body in space? Also, interception. What are my organs telling me? Do I know when I'm hungry or when I'm thirsty? Because sometimes they're confused. When my bladder is full? Or is it just a little irritable today because I had way too much coffee? (laughs) (laughs) So this sensory organ, what are the communications and how can we enhance listening to ourself and really getting good at deep personal listening and then transfer that skill to listening to each other, mm-hmm. to our family, to our friends, to our community.
0: There's the other piece, because we're going to be touching on three major items of fascia today in relation to this community, this neighborhood. And that was the first one, this feeling of the the communicator. And then we have this idea that, um, and I love when you say this because it's succinct. It says what it is, and I understand it, that fascia forms and deforms according to request without bias. It's like a mission statement. You can say it. It just rolls off the tongue. And all that means is that if I'm constantly asking my body, if I'm looking at my phone all day, you know, that this is, I did not grow up with, neither Teresa nor I grew up with this technology. So to... For my kids who did, who are growing up with this technology, they're always looking down at their phones. So what we're asking is for our neck, the cervical spine, to change its curve, to to round in, Um, you know, extension, inflection, you know, I always get messed up with that. (laughs) But it's rounding in, which may cause our shoulders to round in, which could affect our low back as well, because you, you know, affect one curve of the spine that's going to affect the other curves, that over time, the fascia will will form in that way and so our bodies take on this shape the good news is we can request a different shape we can request for the opening by slowly beginning to move in a different way and requesting shoulders back maybe looking up maybe doing some stretches or other movements that encourage a different outcome so there is this idea in a neighborhood where, you know, we're, we're requesting, we went from horse and buggies to cars, so we had to request roads, we had to request a different way to commute, to travel, you know, as soon as we started recycling, we had to request that there be recycling areas and bins and trucks, so it sort of created a whole new line of things that we needed. So this idea of using the fascia as the model, and that we can see that we can request different things. What happens in our human minds, though, is that we start judging and we start bringing in other things, creating storylines and creating definitions that change the actual experience um, to what it's hard to say because it's already changed.
1: (laughs) I don't know what it was before. This kind of comes back to when we discussed patterns. Right? Knowing what we're requesting from, and now we're talking physical posture. What Mm -hmm. are we requesting? And as you mentioned, hunching over our computers all day long is a request. And the other thing that, you know, I really had to wrap my head around is if I'm sitting at a desk hunched over, typing on my computer for hours, my body is also um, processing that as an exercise, right? This is a long held, posture right and when we have these long held postures that are static or have little micro movements we are specifically asking our body to build strength around that posture Mm -hmm. and you may notice it if you go out you know in teaching in massage school one of the things we teach is postural analysis i also taught it in yoga teacher trainings like what do you see when you look at somebody and you know it's kind of a i'm going to use double-edged sword (laughs) as a metaphor because once you start looking it's hard not to see the head tilt the lifted shoulder that forward forward flexion that you were talking about. So our body is amazing. If we ask it, it's gonna help us to create something called homeostasis, a balance. And you alluded to this when you said one curve of the spine, if we over accentuate that upper part of the back by leaning over our computer, Mm -hmm. we're gonna have reflexive movements or adjustments in the body to compensate to bring us into what appears to be a center balance. Mm -hmm.
0: So we want to know what is it we're asking our body to do? And you bring up a really good point too, about seeing, once you see, you can't unsee. But the point on that is we have to choose to look. Before we can see. So, you know, in the 200 hour teacher trainings where you touch on it in the anatomy, you know, looking at the body, um, we are often taught to teach the collective. We're given cues and general sequences that we can just dive in and start teaching, which is valuable. It's really good. And we need to, I think, also hold space to be able to see the individual within the collective. So once upon a time, yoga was a, a ratio of one teacher, one student. So there was a lot of learning and teaching going both ways. The teacher got to learn the students' idiosyncrasies and habits and patterns. And the student got to know the teacher's teaching style and they could you know, create this almost a homeostasis there as they were learning each other's ways and um, honoring their ways of learning. Um, and then our challenge today is to teach the individual in a group setting. So whether you're teaching from the mat or you're walking around the room, it, you know, I'm not going to get into that, that conversation, but it's easy to turn off. Either way. You could be walking around and, you know, touching people unconsciously and not really seeing them. You could be up in the front of the room, you know, engaged and so ensconced in your own practice that you don't see. So there's ways of, of disconnecting in both of those styles of teaching. But in both of those styles of teaching too, you can make the choice to look and to see your students. Because if you don't see them, it's possible that you know we fall into the trap. And I know I have many times as a teacher fallen into that trap of seeing everyone kind of the same and teaching from a lineage of cues rather than the discernment of what I see in front of me. So I've already decided, I've given definitions and stories Without just seeing what is in front of me in terms of lines, shapes, textures, colors. You know, there's a way of seeing things from a more objective view than the subjective views that we tend to um, enter a classroom with.
1: Yeah, earlier when we were talking about communication and receptors, I mentioned proprioception, where we are in space. And as we start to look or feel, like right now, what position is your body in and we will do a a more in-depth practice but as you're listening are you driving are you sitting are you walking what position is your body in can you feel where everything is so just take a moment or a breath or two for a mindful um, inner reflection and inner communication or felt sense tap into that sensory part of your body and notice where it is I'm going to give you a homework assignment to go with that. <laughs> and the homework assignment is next time you get out of the shower or wherever you might have a full length mirror in your home with as little clothing as you are comfortable looking at yourself wearing, <laughs> stand in front of that mirror with eyes open and just have a look. Notice your head is it centered in the body is it centered directly over the spine or leaning from one side to the other notice the shoulders are they at the same height look down at whether they're leaning forward are you standing up straight or are you a little hunched forward what's the position of your feet are they both facing forward is one turning out is the other turning in so just kind of stand there and gaze at yourself start to refine the idea that we can build a deeper knowledge of self by gazing, gazing at our own form, and maybe then noticing the form of others. And while you're standing there, maybe start to adjust some of those things. If you notice your head is tilted to their left, bring it back to center. And go through the entire body and see if you can find a place where you're feeling centered and balanced and you can feel the bottoms of your feet and then close your eyes so that your brain can
0: rewrite that pattern into your fabric Mm. of form. There you go, man. So you bring us beautifully into the third piece of fascia, which is the connective tissue system. You know that all of those things we can request, we can you know form and deform according to that. Um, but there's this whole network within this body, this fascial system, that both sheaths the entire collective of the body, and yet individually wraps every muscle fiber, every every piece of the body in its own individual thing. And I know you've talked about the orange before, but this idea of, you know, uh, when you peel the orange and there's that white kind of, you know, film on the outside that covers the whole orange, but that you were saying the other day that every section is also covered in that film. And then within that, every little pulpy part is also wrapped. So there's this, this whole orange that we, we very rarely see the, the connective things. We see the whole orange. We shove a, a section in our mouth. We enjoy the, the juicy sweetness of this you know beautiful orange. But there is so much going on in this one freaking orange. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. So fascia, you mentioned the connective tissue system. Fascia is part of the connective tissue system. Mm-hmm. We also have blood and bones and you know a variety of other things that are part of the connective tissue system, fascia being one of them. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I could go on with this forever. So yes, um, in relation to community building and the neighborhood, fascia binds everything in the system together but it also separates and creates space for individuality, which is something that really makes my heart happy to think of a neighborhood where everything is cohesively connected, but yet there's still that space for individuality. So it binds and it separates. Um, It glides and slides. Well, you were talking about the orange. If you really look at your orange and you know kind of take a wedge when you separate one wedge from the other they're both wrapped in a membrane but between the two wedges is a layer of fluid and if you look at that wedge before you eat it you'll notice it does have all those little droplets of juice each droplet of juice is in a wedge of a membrane but between that and its neighbor is some fluid which allows the two to remain separate. And you know if you have an orange that's old and has been (laughs) stressed out because it doesn't separate the wedges and it's kind of dry and all of those membranes are, you know, the fluid between them has disappeared. So now they stick, another great metaphor that we can find ways to live together where we glide and slide um, rather than restrict and stick together and but you know when i say stick together it also has a really positive connotation right that we Mm -hmm. we stick together and we work as a unified whole also Mm -hmm. the fascial system absorbs shock right if you want to go out for a run you need you know that you're going to have these ground reaction forces if you're doing a power yoga class going for a brisk walk walking the dog and having them pull you down the street whatever it is you know there's a movement that is coming throughout the entire body Mm -hmm. and what we do is we store that energy and then we distribute it throughout the entire system we take the load that we're carrying the load of the body and ask the entire form to distribute it and balance it out what another great metaphor right that we carry loads in building neighborhoods and communities but we distribute that throughout all of our neighbors um, throughout our family structure as well as our personal structure
0: We have this um, music teacher, kids music teacher in our neighborhood, and in our neighborhood, her name is Miss Marilyn. I'm gonna shout out to Miss Marilyn and Kids Music Round because it is an incredible program. All three of my kids went through it and all of our friends, we met so many great people. But the thing about Marilyn is that she was the first person that I had met as an educator, a kids educator, truly an advocate. I I mean, in the truest sense of the word, because we know that there are different ways that we learn—not just kids, but humans—and I went on and I saw, oh, the four ways that we learn, oh, the five ways, oh, the seven ways, oh, the eight ways. So I'm just going to quickly list, and then I'm coming back to Miss Marilyn: visual, spatial, oral, auditory, music, verbal, linguistic, physical, kinesthetic, and tactile, logical, mathematical—which would not be me—social, um, which is interpersonal solitary, intrapersonal, and this one you'll love is natural nature learners. So we know that we have all of these different possible ways of taking in information and add in, you know, new diagnoses for neurodivergent, you know, human beings. And so we have layers of that we're adding on to these already unique styles of learning. <clears throat> and Marilyn had this incredible way of holding the space, really holding the space for all of it. She had one rule and the rule was actually two. One was no hitting, like you're not allowed to actually infringe on someone else's space and there was no violence. And I know you know that's that's a good one to have. And the other one was parents, please don't clap your hand, kids' hands for them. Let them find that on their own. So she said, if a kid wants to run around and, you know, be a little bit wild, let them. Don't force them to sit. Don't force them to, you know, learn in any way that, you know, you think is proper. You know, it was just let the kid be. These are really young kids, too. They're just kind of, you know, in their bodies trying to figure it all out. And I remember having this pure elation when I would be there, you know, that it was the permission to not have to put my kid in a box. You know, I could let them just be who they were in this collective, in this circle of other kids and parents who were also experiencing the same songs and that, you know, we're getting the instruments and we're doing all the things. And yet there was this pervasive sense of joy from these kids that they could just be who they were. And to me, she just kind of exemplified this idea of individual and collective in in development in child development and learning. You know, because our educational system tends to skew like our health system and other systems toward the collective. We have these generic checklists, we have standardized tests. You know, we don't have standardized kids. You know, some kids might be able to take the standardized tests better than others. You know, I was the kid who, you know, at Stanley Kaplan trying to study for my SATs. You know, I can say this now that, you know, the cat's out of the bag, but. I wasn't there to to be refreshed. I needed to relearn everything. I didn't learn it right the first time. So I just would go out and smoke cigarettes while I was waiting for, you know, the class to end. I was not interested. There was no way of engaging my my unique mind in this material. And yet, my scores, not my SAT scores, but I'm an intelligent human being <clears throat> that was not at all reflected in the standardized testings. Boy. <laughs> (laughs) Yes. Right? Fasha, man, you are.
1: I was a listener. I could show up in school and listen and pass the test with very little work. So uh, consequently, I I wasn't as challenged as I was when I um, started learning as an adult, where everything was curious. And you talked about play and the different ways to play and the different ways to learn. And then that just brought me right back to... Deform and reform based upon request. When I was studying with Dr. Schleip, Dr. Robert Schleip, he's a fascial researcher, um, we talked about play as a way to learn. Yay, play! Yay, yay, play. Yay, yay. yay! We get play. to play. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but,
1: you know, the question was asked in relation to the fascial system which is the best exercise to have? Which is the best way to, you know, to build? A strong and healthy body and his answer was all of them Mm -hmm. because they each talk to the body in a different way so cardiovascular exercise is going to speak to certain parts of our body it's going to speak to our breathing system and our cardiovascular system and how the blood and heart uh, the heart which is also muscle tissue that's wrapped in fascia right so it's it's there too you know who would think that just breathing is an exercise but all of the muscles and tissues around the lungs wrapped in fascia around the rib cage need to open and expand to accept the breath so cardiovascular exercise yoga if we do yoga practices lean long stretching movements that create length in our tissues Or maybe we wanna add a little strength and we do some bicep curls or lift weights or work out on some machines. They're gonna build more girth and more strength. Another great way to train the body to know what we're requesting Mm -hmm. from that body. And also going back to the kids without structure, without being put into a box, go out to the playground right? Climb on the monkey bars. You and I did this together when we, right? We did. We gish Gish. together. (laughs) Yes, play on the swings, jump off the swings, go down the sliding board, you know, roll down a hill. These are all ways that children play. If we want to make requests of our bodies to be young and agile,
0: Mm.
1: act like children.
0: Our systems don't always give us that that, uh, the, the recipe for that when we're young, you know, the recipe that I got from, um, in seventh grade, we had, uh, an English teacher who was an English. No, we did like Roman and Greek mythology, which I would have loved had the teacher actually cared about the way that I learned, but she set the structure so that the desks were all in a circle. And so nowhere could she put me that I was not going to be chit-chatty. Like, I, that's just my nature. It was not, um, you know, she just kept moving me around. And she would say things like, I wonder what's in the water when Sherry goes to the drinking fountain. Like, imp- implying that there was some substance I was taking in order to, you know, be who I was. There was no sense of seeing who I was as a student. So she moved me around the circle several times to know uh, there was no outcome that she wanted. So then she ended up moving me out of the circle, put my desk by the door. So I was alone outside of the collective at the door with no one to chat with, which was fine. I mean, that was her end goal anyway. But what it all it taught me in that moment was that I didn't belong in the group. And you know, I was not the only one who had an individual way of expressing myself in that group. I just maybe was the most boisterous. (laughs) Um, But it just really goes to our leaders. Leadership matters. Our teachers matter. What we share as individuals to a collective also matters. And the beautiful thing about FASHA, like you said in the form and deform, is that it does all of its work without any bias. It does it without judgment. It does it without storylining, which is, I think, one of the reasons why meditation calls to me is because I can sit and I can work with my mind to request something different from it than the judgments i put on we talked last season about after the because i'm a huge after the because person i will tell you your story whether it is your story or not because it's what i believe and so meditation and i know we haven't really taught this is out of the blue but this is a way that i can work with my mind in the way that i might work with my fascia in a way of requesting a different way of seeing things and interacting with the world which has not neutralized my unique way of being in the world. But what it's done is it's given me um, both context and an ability to discern and to be a, a participant in the way I interact with the world rather than just defaulting to whatever, you know, chaotic, fractal way that, you know, I might just like... Bleh. Your messy mind. <laughs> yeah. always back to the
1: messy mind. You know, you were talking about meditation, and it reminded me that I was just reading about... Um, the difference between meditation and mindfulness. And sometimes they get lumped into being the same thing. But with the great communicator, we have an opportunity to be mindful of how we feel. And that can be done, so can meditation. We can walk and and do many different types of meditation. Mm -hmm. But mindfulness is also another way to get in touch with how we feel to live an embodied life to start to listen to that great communicator and our senses by the practice of presence. You talked about noticing the colors and the shapes and the lines and everybody knows, well, maybe if you've been listening, you know, I like being out in nature. What does it smell like? Right? How do I engage with those senses? What does it smell like? What are the colors and the forms I have been in? There was Sierra Nevada's <clears throat> mountains walking around uh, for the past week at different times. And it has this overwhelming scent of pine. It's just, it was so amazing. I walked out and I was like, oh my gosh, it smells so good here. So in this sensory organ that we have, the mindfulness of being present to notice that scent You know, sometimes the scent was so strong, I thought I could taste it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we take this mindfulness to get to know our own personal sensory perceptions, their sensory communicator. And, you know, I believe from an individual standpoint that if I can be mindful and get to know myself on a much deeper level, it's much easier for me to show up in my family relationships, in my friend relationships, and in my neighborhood with that same mindfulness for all of the individuals as well as that collective neighborhood. What does it look like? I hope it has a pine forest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I had the same experience with honeysuckles yesterday and lilacs. I was outside and the perfume of nature just overwhelmed. It was so beautiful. But I like when you, because you are definitely nature girl, and I love nature too, but I sometimes I look at us as the country mouse, city mouse. And while I've come into some balance with that for myself, it did take me 10 years to, to release my attachment to Manhattan and the goods and services I could have gotten there um, and to recognize the beauty and the nuance of just what the natural world and outside the city could also offer. But when we were talking about using fascia as the model for community and for diversity and individuality as well as this collective I thought of the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City, Mm -hmm. but that you could go and you get African art, you get European art, American art, Native American art. You get um, modern and contemporary art. You get photographs. You have a room of Tiffany glass, which in my you know, I know that there are many different uh, meditation practices and mindfulness has its own stuff but the actual meditation that I studied for years was called mindfulness meditation, and that's a specific category of meditation. But we went into the, into the museum in, to do walking meditations, as well as the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens, so there was a bit of both. Um, but walking into that tiffany room in silence and just looking whoa going into the medieval with the armor it just for me who loves king arthur and all of that i i had many experiences there but you could walk through history 5000 years of it, there's islamic art there's so much beauty and just incredible every sense is is taken over do you think it might be a good time for us to come
1: into some practices? Yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. Wherever you are, maybe you're driving and um, you can imagine your practices, so please stay safe. <laughs> I will offer some movement and um, maybe your movements if you're driving might be a little bit different. If you're walking, maybe you can take a pause on your walk and stop for a mindfulness movement practice. And if you're seated, that's perfect as well so whatever your shape is right now we're going to come into just exploring some of the different movements that the body makes well the planes of motion the planes of movement so we have different orientations of how we can express movement throughout the body And we'll begin by just finding whatever our uprightness, our upright posture is. Feet, if possible, if they're not on a gas pedal, are both flat on the ground. The spine, we're going to really concentrate on the spine right now. And the front of the spine, the front of the body, is going to be an uplifting motion. So think about wherever you're seated, grounding into the soul, or walking, grounding into the soles of the feet. And let all the energy of that front body feel like it's lifting up towards the heavens, up to the ethers. And simultaneously, we're going to take the back body and allow the shoulders to come closer to the spine. So the shoulder blades, our wings, are going to hug the spine And all the energy of the back body is going to descend toward the earth. So as our attention rests in the front and back body, these are the places of flexion and extension. Early on, we spoke about leaning over the computer. So taking a nice, deep breath in and feeling the movements of breath. And a slow, releasing exhale. If you're seated, maybe the hands will then come so the palms of the hands are resting on the knees. If you're standing, maybe they're hanging at your side. If you're driving, they're on the steering wheel. And take a nice inhale, and with an exhale, let the front of the body begin to round. If you practice yoga, it's a cat stretch, or if not, just letting the head drop in front as if you are leaning over your computer, the spine is going to round to the front. And you'll feel the lengthening in the back body as the front body comes into a flexed position. While we're here with the head dropped and the torso flexed, try and take a nice deep inhale and notice the space just beneath the ribs. Notice the quality or the ability or restriction to the breath in this shape. And then slowly let it out of the body. Exhale. And as the next inhale is birthed, We're going to align the spine again, taking an inhale and noticing the difference in the quality of the breath. Letting those arms rest at the side, if that's possible. Palms are facing the thighs. Inhale and bring them out in front of the body, up so that the arms, the biceps will come next to the ears, exhale. This is flexion of the shoulders. And as you take another inhale, remember that the front of the body is lifting. Reach for the sky, inhale and reach up. Feel that opening in that front body and maybe even allow the spine to extend in the front body and feel the back body arch. So we have a gentle back bend here. Take a nice inhale, really notice the breath in this shape. Exhale, upright the spine, and let the arms float down to the side one more time. Just the right arm, we're gonna change our focus from flexion and extension side to side. Take that left arm, turn that palm so that it's facing the sky. So we're gonna rotate out the shoulder, and inhale and bring that left arm up, through the side of the body. Notice the difference in the movements now. Maybe you can let your attention focus on the side body, the lateral body. With that arm raised, we're gonna do the same thing. Take an inhale, and as you exhale, reach to the right. Feel the side body open this lateral bend. Notice that we have a different movement, a side to side. Maybe the head wants to drop down a little bit. I'm gonna invite you to turn your palm so it's facing the sky now. And with your next inhale, reach for the sky and bring it all the way back. Let that arm come through that arc of movement, lateral bends. At some point in time, we will coordinate this to the meridians of the body. Right arm, same movement. Turn that palm so it's facing away from you. Inhale and reach. All the way out to the side and up to the sky. The shoulder's going to stay down and notice what it feels like to open that right side of the body. One more time with an inhale, reach for the sky first and then over to the left side, feeling the opening from ankle to fingertip on the right side turn the hand to the ceiling let this next inhale power that movement inhale reach for the sky, and bring that arm back down to the side body so we went front back flexion and extension side body lateral tilts now we're just going to have a nice simple twist so whether you're seated or standing taking an inhale and as you exhale just turn the spine to look to the left side let the arms rest anywhere there's no wrong way to turn so turn let the spine the lower spine turn first and then maybe let the head rotate to look at over the shoulder inhale back to center let that lower spine twist head comes back we're going to do this one a little bit different i'm going to ask you to really focus on the lower part of your spine first taking an inhale letting the belly do the movement exhale pull around to the right side so notice that we didn't lead with our face and our eyes this time take an inhale exhale rotate that head look back over now these are rotations that happen in the body another whole plane of movement inhale bring it back to center Exhale, take a breath, slow, slow, exhale.
0: So now that you've moved your body and you've moved through all the planes, we're going to go into the deep communicator of this fascia system. And if your eyes may be closed, so we're gonna not start with sight, we're gonna start with your eyes closed and just notice. I think sometimes when we look at things, it's easier to define them immediately but with your eyes closed, can you? is there an odor in the room where you are, wherever you are? If you're outside, maybe you have that honeysuckle air. Maybe someone's baking in your house. Can you smell a baked good or a cooking food or a natural flower, floral odor without naming it? Can you get really specific about just allowing the experience of smell to come in. So maybe it's hard if you smell cinnamon, you might think, oh, that's cinnamon. Maybe it's a sweetness or a bitterness or some other adjective that defines it. And just notice, what do you hear? Maybe there's an air conditioning system where you are Maybe there are birds chirping. And again, we the first thing we do is define it. That's a bird chirping. That is the air conditioning unit. That's a truck in the distance. Can you sit with your hearing, with your listening, without calling it what you think it is, what we've called it, what the patterns of language have decided it is? Maybe there's a vibration that you feel in your body that's related to the sound? Can you suspend your ideas of what those words are, truck, birds, wind, and just experience the sound? Do you taste something? Did you just have a cup of coffee or a mint or a meal, or maybe you just woke up and you have that morning breath feel in your mouth? Without judgment, and again, to the best of your ability, without over-defining it with words, what is the experience, the sensation, the flavor in your mouth? Maybe you just brushed your teeth and it feels fresh. And sit with the flavor. Maybe the flavor is informed by the smells. Maybe it's the other way around. And as Teresa had started hers with feeling the feet on the ground, whether you're walking or seated, can you feel your points of contact to whether it's the earth or a chair or a cushion or a driver's seat? I mean, if you're driving, your eyes are open, please. But to feel the experience, can you feel your clothing on your body? Do you wear glasses? And if you've worn glasses, and you probably forget that they're there sometimes, can you feel now how they are perched on your nose and wrapped around your ears? If you're wearing jewelry or any other adornment, can you feel it? And from here, if your eyes are closed, and that was not a requirement, but if they were, gently open your eyes to a soft gaze, not to the floor, but to what is directly in front of you. Now I see a closet door with a doorknob, but is it possible to redefine what you see without definition? It's in the, the word redefine, but no, get rid of that. Can you see the lines, the shapes, the textures? the colors. Maybe there's a vibration that you feel. Maybe what you see taps one of your other senses as well. Can you see what's in front of you without judgment, without definition, and allow what you see directly in front of you to expand into your peripheral view, into that peripheral vision? Sometimes that's easier to release definition because it's harder to see clearly what's in the peripheral view. So maybe that's a place to start. What do you see? What are the lines, shapes, textures, and colors in that side view? And then slowly begin to draw that view into a very specific close front view. And what do you see? And just notice the experience in your body, even in the mental mind game of trying to release the definition. Did you forget to breathe while doing this? Can you experience your senses while taking a conscious breath? And then very slowly, we've gone from peripheral to our frontal view, slowly turn your head to the right. And as you turn, take in the view. Notice all the colors and the textures and the lines and the shapes, without judging table, chair, art, and just see. With the same eyes that you will use when you look at your body in front of the mirror, draw your view back to the front, slowly coming back. And with the same attention and mindfulness, slowly turn your head to the left. Is the view different? But can you still release that idea of definition and just take in the elements? And then very slowly draw your view back to center. And imagine yourself standing in front of that mirror, the mirror that Teresa gave you earlier. And if we're taking this out of context, you're standing in front of your mirror, looking at yourself. Can you do that without judgment? Can you do it without storylining who you think you are and just see the lines, the shapes, the textures and the colors of who you are, your elemental self. And then slowly you can draw your hands in front of your heart, touching your palms together, just to bring some sense of closure to this brief meditation. And again, feel your palms touching, feel your fingers as they connect. Draw your thumbs to your heart space and connect all of that energy, all of that exercise, the physical, the mental, the elemental, the sensory, and know that they are individual pieces of this collection that we call ourself. So we can end with what my teachers, and this is from my teachers and their teachers, call the dedication of merit. Um, I got this from Cindy Lee, and she got it from her teacher but I did add something to it at the end I added one extra word so I just don't want you to think this comes directly from but everything else does so may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness may all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering may all beings never be parted from freedoms true joy May all beings dwell in equanimity, free from attachment, aversion, and ignorance. And then you can gently bow and come back.
1: Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people, so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you're so moved, please write
0: a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos.